The first reading, eh, the first reading is Isaiah 64, 1 through 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down the that the mounds might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time and shall be saved. We have all become like one who is unclean and our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our inequities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our inequities. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not inequity forever. This is the word of the Lord. The psalm for today is Psalm 80, verses 1 through 7. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim. Shine forth, bring Ephraim and Benjamin and Manassas, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God, O host. Let your face shine that we may be saved. The second reading is from Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I gave thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God, of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, gutless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 11th chapter. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away, and they found a colt tied at the door outside the street. They untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. 
They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. He sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This is the gospel of our Lord. As we mentioned, today starts the season of Advent. A new church year begins today. And the season of Advent, as we've mentioned already, it's a season of waiting for the Lord's arrival. Yes, there was a time in history that we waited for the Messiah to come, and the Messiah came. He came in the form of this virgin birth child into a, a land that the world would look over and, and that sort of stuff. But he came, and we celebrate that in just a few weeks with the, 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 the Christmas, the Christ Mass. Um, but we also know he's going to come again. He's already come once, and he will come again. So into this season of waiting, it's also an anticipation of the Lord's return. So what does Advent mean for us as a member, as members of a, of a Christian church in these days? What's, what's the one message that the Lord would want us to hold on to today and tomorrow for these four weeks of Advent, but actually until he returns as Lord and King? I'll ask you to remember these things, you who are members of the body of Christ, that you would pray that you would remain spiritually alert. Pray for that. That you would remain faithful and obedient and attentive in that. So faithfully, obediently attentive to God and ready to greet the Lord Jesus when he comes again with praise and thanksgiving, not with fear or apprehension. When you see him coming, thank you, Lord, for coming. It's, it's uh, We always say it's about time we've been waiting for you forever. Come on, Jesus, right? To be that kind of a church. Now, keeping awake until the day of the Lord, for some folks, it seems like they might think it's an easy task, especially when... Um, they look around and they might compare themselves to things, but in history, it's seldom been an easy task. It's seldom been easy for the church, especially when Jesus' fellowship is a little bit distant. Proof of that, today we're going to read in the letter of Paul to his friends in Corinth. They are a church that's waiting. They've been introduced to Jesus. They know the truth. They've been exposed to the truth of Jesus. The Holy Spirit has blessed them and assisted them. But now in this time of waiting in Paul's absence, and they're still waiting, things are getting sideways, if you will. And so he writes this letter to the Corinthians, and he begins his letter to the Corinthians with the words, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He even continues to celebrate the gifts of God in Jesus for the next nine verses. Grace and peace are the initial greeting. The remaining letter, though, is about living spiritually alert. The remaining letter is about living faithfully and obediently attentive to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Living in close fellowship with the Lord and each other. The letter to the Corinthians offers the discerning reader a marvelous window into this first century church. Some people would like to think that Christian churches in the past, you know, in the biblical times, that they were somehow more Christ-like. Some would like to think that those within those first communities of faith, that they were, they were lacking 
problems, that they were lacking sin in their lives, that they were, there was no divisions amongst them, there was no disputes between them, that there were no factions developing or distractions. Well, the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians provides ample evidence to correct that romantic notion. The early church at Corinth was not pristine or pure. In fact, the church at Corinth was a mess. There were factions fighting each other over non-Salvitic topics. You know, they could be arguing about decorations here and behaviors there, and it had nothing to do with salvation, but they were treating it like it was life and death importance and, and dividing over it. Battles were being waged over the expression of spiritual gifts and whose gifts were more important. There were numerous reports of sexual immorality, and they were, they were almost condoning it. The church's relationship to the courts was causing division because they were having fights one within themselves, and then they're now they're going to take it to the courts, and does the church ever do that? Concerns about Christian place in the secular culture and how they interact with it were raising havoc. They were even having debates over and divisions over the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It was being misunderstood. Factions were developing. Some were considering themselves as more favored or privileged. They got to sit in the inner part of the house where they were worshiping. And then the second class was over here and the third class was out there. So they were seeing who was more favored. The church was being divided. There was even divisions because they were interacting with the previous false religions and interacting in the pagan world in ways that was contrary to being a Christian follower, Christ follower. So in short, the church at Corinth, in many ways, it looks like a lot of churches in modern days. And Paul's focus and lessons, Paul's focus and lessons were to be a corrective. The focus is Jesus. And the lesson is of Jesus. In the first three, in the first verses, verse three that we had today, he starts off with grace and peace from Christ Jesus and the Father. That is where he begins. He absolutely knows that we cannot fully experience God's grace when we're distanced from Jesus. He fully knows that we can't experience peace in our lives in any significant level when we are distanced from Jesus. Fellowship with Jesus is what guides and inspires fellowship with each other. And so he starts off from the very beginning, this gift, and when you've experienced, you're going to know it, this gift of God's presence and grace and this gift of God's Holy Spirit and peace, it is his gift to you. That's where you start. That can inspire gratitude and holiness. Apart from that, there's no other place to start. Then, but he does continue. Then in verse 4, Christ Jesus is identified as the means by which grace is received. And so if you want the gifts of God in this experience of knowing who your creator is, you, got, you have to go to Jesus, his son. And then it continues, verse 5, Jesus has blessed us, church, with divine knowledge. When we read his word and we're participating in the sacrament, we are receiving everything we need, ever. We have the knowledge. We have the things essential for salvation. That we don't need more than what he's already given us in Jesus. It starts there. Verse 6, the truth has been confirmed. He says, you will lack nothing until his return. There are many people that think, I still need something. 
right? I'm not forgiven all the way. I'm not forgiven. There's always this list of things that we're trying to achieve so that we might be ready when Jesus returns. And, and here Paul says, you've already received everything you need for, for, to be prepared on the day Jesus returns. Verse 9, he gives us a gift. He says, God is faithful, which is a statement. It doesn't matter whether we're faithful. God is faithful. We will fail. God never fails. So God is faithful to us. Love that statement. And then he adds to the words, and we are called into fellowship. That means a right and friendly relationship with. This may all seem reasonable for us and common for us, stuff that we would just almost maybe take for granted. But for Paul, he needed to start his letter to the Corinthians in a powerfully true, non-debatable, non-controversial way. Jesus-focused, fellowship-inspired. That's how he starts the letter. Because until you have that, you can't even talk about the rest of it. Paul first reminds the community that their unity is Christ. He makes it clear that the reason for being a church is to grow in their following of Jesus, their discipleship, and their, their identity is Jesus. From that place, all the sinful attitudes, the behaviors, the thoughts, the actions, the divisive factions that we're all going, they will be exposed and they will be corrected. But apart from that place, there won't be an adequate response. Now, how are they to do this? How are they to do this? Closings today interactions, verse 9, Paul addresses the individualism at Corinth and the divisiveness at Corinth with the word fellowship. This word today to pause and notice, fellowship. It is a heart filled with love, relationship, friendliness word. That's a lot of words connected to it. But when you think of fellowship, think of it's from your heart. So it's a love-inspired relationship that's friendly, it's benevolent, it's raising up, it's for. Fellowship is a bridge between us and our Heavenly Father and us and each other. Now, thinking about these themes in Advent, about being spiritually alert, faithful, obediently um, attentive, thinking about the beauty of God's love and fellowship, but then also thinking about all the sin that's taking place in Corinth, thinking, wow, how, how do we touch on this? And then the story popped in my head. I love this story. Um, gosh, it's been a long time since I had reread it, but it's from Tony Campolo. He's, he's just a good guy. Tony was asked... When he was younger, he was asked, he said, to be a junior high camp counselor. Um, and, and in his opening of this little story, he says, and everybody should serve at least one time in their life as a junior high camp counselor. He says, it's there that you're going to see behaviors in humanity you won't see elsewhere. And he says, when you're a junior high camp counselor, you're going to recognize that junior high kids' concept of having fun or a good time is more often than not picking and ridiculing other people. He said, in this particular case, during this particular church camp week, it was clearly evidence because there was a little, there was a boy there, a junior high boy there, who was suffering from cerebral palsy. His name was Billy. And the rest of the kids picked on Billy. Oh, they picked on him, he said. As he would walk across the camp with his uh, his uncoordinated body, they would line up 
and, and imitate his diseased movements. And he was fairly advanced in that. So his legs, his feet were kind of bent and his feet were kind of bent and his arms were a little bit twisted and he kind of drug his leg, he said. And the kids would be in his vicinity behind him walking in that same way. He said, on the day one, he didn't know where, where certain things were. And so he kind of drug himself to, to a space where he could ask a counselor. And he asked the counselor, and he couldn't speak. His speech was impaired. It would take a long time for him to be able to say each word in such a way as you could understand it. He said, which way... And I'm not going to keep staying it that way, but you get the point. Which way is the craft shop? He wanted to go make crafts to try. It took him almost two minutes to say those words. His mouth was contorting and the boys around him were mocking him and saying the same words he was saying in the same way, ridiculing him. It's over there, Billy. And they laughed. Tony Campola said, I wanted to run across the yard and knock their heads in. He said, my anger reached a high pitch, a high level. Because on Wednesday morning, day three, Wednesday morning, it was time for Billy's cabins to do the devotions, to offer the devotions in the morning. And he wondered what was going to happen within that cabin because they appointed Billy as the speaker. Now, he says, I know they just wanted to, to get him and to make more fun of him. So the first boy goes up and he reads Bible lesson one. Another one reads Bible lesson two. They have the line of four or five boys, each one of them reading Bible lessons about how God so loved he gave his son and about he, he, while you were yet sinners, he still died for you. They're reading these popular and famous and powerful Bible lessons. And then it was time for Billy to stand up and share his message. And so Billy, he gets up from the chair, not easy, and he drags his way to the front. He gets behind the microphone. And even though they had just heard God's love to call and follow his way and to love like Jesus and to recognize how much God has just poured his love on you, as he was making his way to that place to say his words, there was giggles about his, behavior, his, his way of moving. And, and it, it was, it, the counselors were sad because they didn't think anything would change their hearts. But still, Billy got there and he stood in front of the chapel with a wooden, massive wooden cross just behind him. And, and Tony says, Campola says, it took almost two minutes, two minutes for Billy to get through clearly trying to communicate seven words. Two minutes to say, Jesus loves me and I love Jesus. When he was done struggling to say those words, there was dead silence. Tony Campola says, I looked over my shoulder and he says, I saw junior high youth bawling all over the place. And Tony says, a revival broke out in the camp that day after Billy's two minute, seven word testimony. 
He said, we counselors, we had tried everything to spiritually wake these pampered and privileged American kids to get their hearts right with Jesus. We had even brought in a local professional baseball player in the gaps of the summertime games that year to come in and, and to talk to the kids because he was a hero and to say how his batting averages and his game and his life has all improved because he was praying with Jesus and his life was being dedicated to Jesus. and He was returning to holiness and righteousness with Jesus. And he said, we brought this person in. It didn't make a difference to the kids. God chose not to use a superstar to correct sin and to aspire a loving fellowship. God chose a kid with cerebral palsy to break their hard hearts and inspire them to love. Now, even though there's there's sin that can tempt people to be in a spiritual sleep. We can see it all around us. The wealth and the materialism and all the good things that surround us, we can get so distracted in that that we can fall asleep with Jesus. We will, not, we will forget that who gave us all these things is God. No, we'll start worshiping and paying so much attention to the things of creation, we will forget the creator father who gave it to us. That's a spiritual sleep. And even though there's a sin that cripples and divides us, from Christ-like fellowship with all kinds of motives and things like that, but still it divides a church. And even though sin can hinder our relationship with God and each other as we do things that's, that are motivated from dark places and is selfish and it wounds people we know and love, the message of God can still come through. We can still experience God's love and become spiritually alert. Paul's waking us up today saying you can be faithfully and obediently attentive to the Lord. In close fellowship with Jesus, you can have these things. And then from there, you can help others to do the same. Now, if we ever think that it was only the Christians in the past or other places and times that were better able to stay spiritually alert and faithfully and obediently attentive. Friends, remember today as you go through the season of Advent, even the rest of your lives, the church at Corinth, that church in Corinth, like many churches, they were struggling to stay spiritually alert, faithful and obedient. The correction to their sinful, divisive ways it was really simple. Paul gave them the love of God in Jesus. The guiding principle for their lives from that day on was to be reminded and directed back to Jesus and God's love for them in Jesus and an invitation to fellowship with the Father again because of the love of Jesus. And church, if you find, bless you, if you find yourself spiritually sleepy, Right? Distracted with the world's things. And maybe you don't have a sense of God's grace and peace in your life. A full life with this peace. You can remember that a group of young, privileged children, they spiritually woke up. When God's spirit worked through a boy with cerebral palsy, saying the words, Jesus loves me and I love Jesus. 
Remember how much Jesus loves you today. He came in a birth story that we'll remember in four weeks. He went to a cross that we'll remember in Easter. But today we remember. Remember how much Jesus loves the people around you because he came for them as well. He looks at them with the same love he looks at you. Be loved and then love like Jesus until he returns. God help us be that church. Amen. Let us declare our faith. We'll use the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into death. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And let us pray for God's people. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as your children, we can come to you in every circumstance of life, in times of plenty and in times of want, in times of success and in times of failure. We know you are God, so we come in humility, claiming no merit of our own, but wholly praying in Jesus' name. We give you thanks for your love, for your goodness, for your forgiveness. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord Jesus, you united us in a common faith and family at our baptism. If it gives you glory, lead us and guide us as we strive to live out our baptism promises. Create a hunger in us for hearing your word and to worship. Create a thirst in us for receiving you in prayer and sacrament. Lord, in your mercy. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for calling us here today. We thank you for opening our eyes, ears, minds, and hearts to your plans and possibilities. If it gives you glory, inspire us to shine your holiness as we work, play, and interact with our community this week. Give us courage to surrender to you and to serve those around us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, if it gives you glory, receive our prayers for those we know and love who are in need of your strength, comfort, and healing. We pray especially for those we name silent in our hearts now. Into your hands, O oh Lord, we commend all for whom we pray. We will trust in your mercy through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.